understand. Hello and welcome. I am Kim Keen, host of the One of a Kind You podcast. I started this podcast to share my journey of my past self, a woman who was struggling with leaving her teaching career and adjusting to stay-at-home mom life, to help other women with their motherhood journeys or their work-life balance journeys so they can let go, make themselves a priority without all the sacrificing. So if you are a regular listener of One of a Kind You, thank you so much for tuning in again. If you are a new listener to this podcast, thanks so much for taking a step by to check it out. But the way that this works is that I usually share a journal entry of mine from about five or six years ago. And I reflect now what I know as a certified life coach and what I wish I had known then when I was in the depths of the struggle. But today we have a special guest with us. Her name is Mallory Durick, and she is just adore her. So we chatted briefly, um, probably, I guess it's been a month or so ago already. Time is flying by fast. And um, when we were chatting, I was like, yes. Uh huh. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And it was just, I was like, yes, all the way. So um, I invited her on the podcast and she was sweet enough to say yes. So Mallory is also a fellow podcaster. Um, Her podcast is called Don't Lose Your Balance. And she also shares her journey and the struggles in that journey and overcoming them, which is why I thought she would be a perfect person to come on one of a kind you, since we're talking all about struggles and overcoming them and navigating them on the day-to-day. So I will let Mallory introduce herself some more in case there's something that I missed that she would like to include. Hey, Kim, thank you so much. And thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, I guess my podcast is called Don't Lose Your Balance. And it was a um, podcast that was created to help me navigate my journey of life. And uh, by nature, I, you know, I don't think I'm a terribly open person. So it was a pretty big, um, you know, introduction for myself to go into this world of sharing. I think I'm pretty private, um, by trade, I'm a web designer and a marketing strategist who has a love for technology. So when I wanted to navigate this journey that I was on emotionally, I made the decision to, uh, record it and get involved in the technology. And, and I think that that was a good way for me to write a journal entry, except I wasn't writing it. I was really just speaking of it. So yeah, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, of course. And so that is where Mallory and I different tech is her thing. Tech is not my thing. So <laughs> she's like, do you edit? No, I do not edit because if I edit, then that is a whole <laughs> other can of worms that it will just never happen. So we just take it and roll. So um, there was one episode on Mallory's podcast that I absolutely loved, and it was about acceptance. And I think acceptance can be such a challenge, especially when we're in the thick of the struggle. So um, can you talk to us more about how you came to um, develop acceptance for your journey? And you can share as much or as little as you'd like about the journey and how the how you came to um, embrace acceptance? Sure. Um, I think in order to share how I learned to accept myself and all of the struggles, I think we need to provide just a little bit of context in the conversation so that people don't think it's coming from left field. I mean, I'm in my late fifties and in my thirties, I had an affair and I actually got addicted to Vicodin, which is obviously a pain medication that lasted for about four years. And at the time I was a young mother. 
So I kind of found myself disconnecting from my children, disconnecting from my husband and just connect. And more importantly, disconnecting from myself. And this, these decisions that I made back in my thirties, which carried me well into my forties and into my fifties, I realized that I was not being accepted for anything and rightly so Mm -hmm. because I really hadn't accepted what had happened to me and who I was. And yes, did I make these incredible mistakes along the way? I did, but it, it also meant that I wasn't going to pay for the rest of my life, whether somebody else decided to do that with me, that's fine. But I wasn't going to say this is these are things that I did. And these are things that have happened. This is not who I am. Yes. Yes. And, you know, and unfortunately that carried me well into today, not today, but last year even. And I said, you know what, I'm going to do some, some things that are going to change this narrative. It's going to spin this narrative. And when I did that, I found this world opened up for me of what I didn't realize would be self-acceptance. And if you don't have a good relationship with yourself, and if you don't accept yourself, the truth of the matter is nobody else is going to either. They're just going to point fingers, assign blame and judge you. And that judgment has carried me well for 20 years. And there was just, I wanted to change it. And the beauty is we are within our, it is within our own control to be able to change it. Yes, absolutely. I think you said, you know, you didn't want to make yourself pay. It's one thing if someone else tries to make you pay, because ultimately that's beyond our control with Mm -hmm. someone else trying to make us pay for our mistakes. But I think what happens is that we make these mistakes and we look at them as epic fails. And then when that's the case, we just beat ourselves up relentlessly for the mistakes. And we then can't take the lesson or really evaluate the experience to stop making ourselves pay over and over and over. And like when we're making ourselves pay, we're essentially reliving the experience and re-torturing ourselves all over again. Yeah. And I, and I did, I re-tortured myself over and over and over again. And when I realized that I couldn't get to the people that I loved because they were holding on to whatever it was that they were holding on to, I defined some serious boundaries And I said, you know, you can carry this all you want. I mean, I don't think I actually said that to them. I said this to myself and here's what I'm going to do. And as soon as I did that, I started to see a change in the way I allowed myself to be treated. And that changed everything for me. Yeah, absolutely. They're going to always carry whatever they want to carry until Mm -hmm. they want to change their narrative. And I say they, meaning... It could be my children. It could be my parents. It could be my friends. Yes. I want to say that even though everybody knows who is close to me, that I had, I had this addiction to this Vicodin. It was something that a lot of people didn't know. And Mm -hmm. I never really talked about what it was about and what, why it became such a a a tremendous hold, why it had such a tremendous hold on me and how I managed to escape it and survive it was a bigger story than the actual drug itself. And I wasn't able to do that if I didn't start talking about it. And once I started talking about it, then, then things got, things got a lot better. Yeah. And I think, you know, um, 
I'll say your drug of choice was Vicodin and keeping, Mm -hmm. you know, not talking about that. But for me, I didn't have a drug addiction, but I could not talk about my struggles. I could not talk about the pain that I was feeling. I could not let anyone know that the, like that I was struggling. I was in therapy and I was miserable being a stay at home mom. And I felt immense guilt for that. I could not let anyone know that. And I did not talk about it. So when I took my girls to gymnastics or dance class or Girl Scouts or school parties, I always had the smile on my face. I always made sure that I was dressed impeccably because I didn't want anyone to know what was going on behind the scenes. Because then I thought, oh God, if they know how miserable I am and how bad I'm struggling, they're going to think so badly of me. But once I let go of that, it was a game changer because then people could say like, oh my gosh, I was having the same struggle or no, that doesn't make you a bad mom because I often don't love being a stay at home mom either. Or, you know, I feel guilt for being a working mom and don't get enough time with my kids. So by opening up and sharing, it actually gives people something to connect to and relate to. And it takes that loneliness factor away, not only from us keeping it a secret, but from other people too, because then they also connect and realize that they're not going it alone, just like they thought they were. You know, it's so interesting that you say that because I felt exactly like how you just articulated that, but I couldn't live with it. Mm -hmm. The pain was too egregious. And that's why, you know... I felt every single thing that you felt with a bottle of Vicodin of a hundred, you know, 120 pills in my bag. Mm -hmm. And I knew that those were, those pills were the things that were going to help me get through the intensity of that pain because we didn't talk about it. I, Mm -hmm. you know, every one of my friends looked like they all had their stuff together and, you know, they were doing it and I'm thinking, what is wrong with me? And maybe I was going through some, some, some other personal issues that weren't really being addressed, but yeah, I knew that those pills in my bag were just waiting and calling for me to get rid of whatever I was feeling. And then I thought, ah, I'll just deal with it another day. Well, another day turned into four years later and yeah, you know, here, here I am today, but thankfully healthier, happier and not not addicted. Yes. Which is amazing. And I think it's incredible that you overcame the addiction because um, I, back in my younger years um, before marriage and kids and all of that, my abusive high school boyfriend and all like our whole circle of friends, they all became addicted to prescription pain pills. And it started off, you know, they smoked weed casually, you know, in each other's mm-hmm. car or whatever. And then it was, you know, pills were a thing. And so the addiction, his pill addiction spiraled out of control. And then after I left him, it later became a heroin addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, most people don't, it's a very hard thing to overcome yeah. a prescription pill addiction. So just celebrating you for that, because that's not an easy feat. Oh, thanks. Well, I knew, and I said this in the podcast, when I talked about my addiction episode, which is episode um, three, um, and I'm at 33 now, which I'm yeah. very proud of. Um, I said there was no way I was turning to heroin and yeah. I didn't, I knew that I had had a cutoff. Mm-hmm. And I recognized that I, I, I knew I was addicted. I didn't care until I had to care, yes. but I knew that I was not going to cross over. And as long as the money was still there to buy the pills, mm-hmm. but what really ended up happening was it wasn't about the, my, about the money, although it was a huge $80,000 expenditure over the four-year period. It was yeah. truly about the fact that 50 pills a day no longer could do it. And I knew that the only next step was going to be heroin and it wasn't going to be me that went there. 
I yeah. knew that I would never come back from that. And I didn't. And that's when I went and got help. Yeah. That's incredible because, um, I have a cousin who, you know, started in high school taking prescription pills and went to heroin and can't come back from it. Mm -hmm. And so, um, young, like mm -hmm. early thirties and looks so much older than early thirties and just, you know, in and out of rehabs and just can't, just can't kick it. And it's devastating, especially for my aunt, because no, of course no one wants that for their child. Um, but it's just devastating to see him just as a person, as a human being, you know, struggling with that. So the fact that you were able to say to yourself, nope, not doing it. Here's the cutoff. I'm getting close to that point. So I'm mm -hmm. making a change, I think is huge and goes back to acceptance. It was like you accepted you were breaching that point of no return and you didn't want to get there. And you said, okay, that's it. I'm making a change. Right. I don't ever think I ever wanted to die. And yeah. I knew that that probably was going to be my, you know, entrance into the gateway of death. Yes. And I just wanted out. The, there's mm -hmm. nothing worse than the pain of withdrawal. I really believe that. And when the pills no longer prevented the withdrawal, no matter how many I could take, I only, I knew that there was something else I could do, but I didn't want to be that person. And I had that line and that's another boundary that I had set for myself, but I didn't really think of it like that. Mm -hmm. I just knew that when I was, when I was that sick from the withdrawal and the pills and everything, I was just a mess. Um, I was willing to, and they tell you in, you know, AA and, and in the 12 step program, you have to accept and acknowledge that this is a problem and you have to then go on that, you know, climb back to what I define as balance. And yeah. I lost that balance. Boy, did I lose that balance. Mm -hmm. So yeah, thank you very much for acknowledging that. Yeah, yeah. I think it's so easy to get out of balance just in mm -hmm. life in general. And I don't know, you know, when you were going through your journey, there wasn't balance there because you were managing an addiction and still trying to show up for your kids. And you still had a relationship with your husband, even with infidelity there. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something that I also relate to. I was hugely out of balance in this journal journey of struggle because I was so desperately trying to cling to the idea of what a good mom does, says, looks like all of those things. And also trying to heal all of this trauma and keep a game face on, but then also being, you know, a wife to my husband and the pendulum wasn't even swinging back and forth. It was like swinging all over like this right. crazy thing that wasn't even in any direction. It was more like the Tasmanian devil from the Looney Tunes in the nineties. It was like all over, there was no balance. So how did you start to gradually get that balance back? Wow. Um, you have to accept some really ugly truths about yourself mm -hmm. and being a good mother and being a good wife. I had already lost my balance with that, that, you know, it's almost as if, and I know this is going to sound strange, but that was the least of my concerns at the point of my horrible addiction. And when I started to go back to the recovery component and, you know, I found true and utter balance when I accepted the uh, ugly truths about myself and I decided what it was that I wanted for myself less than what more so than what I wanted for other people. Mm -hmm. I had to stop worrying about everybody else. I had to stop pleasing a new boyfriend or worrying about how I, 
can be better or different. I had to be who I was. And that's hard because I'm a people pleaser and, you know, and I, (laughs) I think as moms, we generally are people pleasers as moms because it's our job to please our kids and everyone else, because God forbid someone has this image of us that we're not a good mom or we're not a good wife or whatever it is. So I think we women instinctively run in people pleaser mode. I agree with that. And yet we're not unique being mothers. We're right. We are, you know, there's all, there's a lot of mothers out there. Yes. And I, and I want to say that even though somebody may appear to look like they have it all together, I looked like I had it all together. Mm-hmm. I always looked like I had it together. There were a lot of people who were super surprised when they learned that I, and this is much later when they learned that I had an addiction, a lot of people had no idea when I was going through it, that I was, you know, I was, I don't want to say I was high, but I wasn't sober and Mm -hmm. they didn't know, they didn't know. They look, I look, I was teaching at the, you know, I was teaching at the gym and I was, you know, picking up the kids from uh, school and running around doing all kinds of wonderful things. So, um, Finding balance happened much later in life when I said I can only worry about myself. And I feel like I'm really late to the party on this one because being, uh, being attentive to your own details is not selfish, No, it not feel, at all. but it feels selfish. Mm-hmm. You feel like you feel very self-centered and you feel very selfish and you feel like it's really about what your kids needs are, yes. but it's really about what your needs are. And if you are not okay, then nobody is going to be okay. And I know that sounds so trite and bumper sticker like, and it's the truth, but it wasn't until much later in life that I really got that. And I wish it hadn't taken 20 years to figure it out, but it did take 20 years to figure it out. And I'm, it doesn't matter because I, I did figure it out. Yes. You know, and the balance is something that you have to be aware of. You can't put things in your body that are toxic. Mm-hmm. You need to do what's right for you. And that's definitely how I figured it out. I, I define those boundaries that I've spoken about and, and don't cross them, you yes. know, or, and I don't move them, you know, and maybe it's also about not setting such a high bar for yourself or even thinking that you're not worthy enough and set such a low one. Yes. Yeah, I think it's those extremes. It's very hard to find that middle ground. We either set the bar super low. So then the bar is so low. We're like, yes, pulling it off. (laughs) Or the bar is so high that there is no way we will ever reach the bar. And then we think, what in the world is going on here? Why is this like this? But it's like, because the expectations are astronomical, you're never going to get them never, not in a million years. So setting that bar in a realistic place is is so important. I think also in this day and age, I didn't have Instagram back then. And when you look at other people who seemingly have it all together and they look great and you look at it and their life is like a highlight reel, or if they share negativity, then they're attention seeking. And there there's neither of those two things maybe is the truth. They're, they're, yes. they're human, just like everybody else. And they go through whatever they go through. But yes. it, when you come from a school of, you don't air your dirty laundry in public, Yes, you know, and I did, 
but I yeah. didn't do it. I didn't do it in a way where I, su- you know, was super advertising it. But I do think that that being truthful with yourself is the first step to balance. Yeah, yeah I think absolutely. And I think letting go to of like what's on social media, um, because when I started my healing journey, social media was a thing, but I feel like I missed the sort of the breakthrough thing because I didn't go to college right out of high school. So I was in my mid twenties when I, I was 21 when I started college, but took several years longer than like, I took the Mm -hmm. extended year plan to finish it. Um, so I was 26 graduating from college with my undergrad degree and I didn't live on campus. I had an apartment with my fiance, who's now my husband. And so I wasn't into my space because I wasn't on campus and didn't need to post my location. I drove an hour and 20 minutes each way to school. So I wasn't in the, the social media when it was starting to become a thing. And then, you know, we got married as soon as we graduated, both started jobs immediately, had our first child within the first year and a half of marriage. So I did not have time for social media. And it wasn't until I became a Girl Scout leader with my friend. And she was like, you need to be on Facebook so that you, you know, can be in the Girl Scout group. And I was like, I do not want to be on social media, period. And for the longest time, my social media name was my middle name and then my first name (laughs) because I did not want it. So I didn't have all the cute pictures that moms have now where it's like one month and they have the cute little background, all those things. So I'm still like a social media newbie. Um, because I didn't get on the social media train until just a couple years ago. But even though I didn't have social media, I wasn't on social media in the thick of my journey. I was taking my kids to mommy and me groups and story time at the library. And that was my version of social media because those moms were, had their Tory Burch shoes and their coach handbags and right. were so patient and sing-songy with their kids. And I was barely keeping it together because of course we would go to mommy and me and my girls didn't want to sing the songs. They didn't want to play the instruments. They didn't want to do the dances. And I would be begging and pleading with them because they were the only two out of 20 kids who were not on board with this game plan. And by the time we left, I was sweating and on the verge of tears. And that was like my version of social media because the other moms were there with their high and diaper bags. And I was there with my Walmart diaper bag, struggling, struggling, struggling. And no one else seemed to be struggling except for me. And I just thought WTF. Mm -hmm. So I didn't even need social media to get into the whole comparison trap and to make myself feel worse than I already did because I saw it at all the mommy and me groups. So then I stopped going because I didn't feel welcomed there. And I felt worse about myself than when I started. So I was like, okay, this isn't good. The kids don't want to go. So I'll just stay in the confines of my four walls at my house, which was also not good. Right. And, you know, I can tell you that when you say that they're all together with their, their expensive handbags and, and diaper bags, I know I had the 5,000 square foot house in the Mercedes and could not have been more empty and miserable. And yet I didn't appear that way at all. Yes. So you'd be surprised what, when you peel back all those layers, you'd be surprised. It's also important to not compare yourself to the other people. And I get how incredibly hard that is because we think we want certain things in our lives that we see other people have. And then when we get them, it's a little lackluster maybe. And the truth of the matter is it's not as fulfilling as it looks. It's a lot, it's a, it's not. And the, it's not great to be poor. And it's not great. Even I'm going to say it. It's not even great for me to be rich. 
it's great to have enough and to recognize that I don't need more than I can handle because I have had more than I could handle. And then everything falls apart. And that is when I lost balance. It didn't matter. You can have all the money in the world and you can still be very unhappy. And I know we know that intellectually, but until you actually live it, it's very different. Yes, absolutely. And so I, I, this has all been great. And so, um, so just, if you could give one takeaway it, and sometimes it's hard to like boil it down to one thing, mm-hmm. but, um, what was the one thing that you did to start your journey or what's one thing that anyone listening to this pod epi- podcast episode could do to start their journey to say like, okay, I am out of balance. This is not working for me anymore. And I need to make a change. Oh, change is hard, but it's the only thing permanent in life. And I would say if, if you take a look at whatever it is that is making you very, very unhappy, and I hate to say it, but it could be being married yes. to that person. It could be, you know, you can't change the fact that you're a mother, but you can change your situation if you, if it's within your capacity, I, yes. I do understand that a lot of people cannot do that, Right. but be honest with yourself. Yes. You don't want to always admit that it is something that you have to actually flip upside down in order yes. to find out what it is, uh, that can make you happier because we're conditioned to believe that it is the the, the husband and it is the kids and it is whatever it is until you realize, no, these are none of the things that I thought it was going to be. And it Mm -hmm. might not be the right partner. And it doesn't have to look like the obvious. I had a wonderful husband who loved me very much. I was just incredibly unhappy and it, 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 and I couldn't do anything right to make that better except to end it. And the Mm -hmm. only way I could end it was to self-destruct. And I would like to stop somebody else from doing that. You don't have to self-destruct. You can empower yourself to be very honest about what it is that you're so unhappy about. And then find people and resources, you know, that can help you on a, on a better track for yourself. So you don't have to look back on it 20 years later and say, why didn't I just do this this way? So that's what I would say. Be honest with yourself about what it is you're unhappy about, and then find whatever resources you can in order to, to make it an impactful change because your children are always going to be better off when you're a lot better off because they're yes. not, they're not going to be okay when you're not okay. So. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's a fantastic takeaway is really like looking deep and figuring out where is the unhappiness. And oftentimes it's not really the husband that's making us unhappy. It's something within ourselves that's making us unhappy. And so Sometimes when we can recognize the unhappiness within ourselves, it actually changes the dynamic of the marriage to be something much better than it had ever been, or the dynamic with our children or our friends or our family members. And so really, I love that you said it really starts with us individually and then, you know, looking deep within, and then we can assess what's really not working on the outside. Um, But I think a lot of times we flip it around and we think, oh, all the outside stuff isn't working. And if I change all of those outside things, then life will be better. Life will be easier. But when we do that, it still isn't fixed because we haven't really gotten to the root cause. And I want to say that it wasn't the husband. It was the Mallory. It was me. That was the problem. It wasn't a new husband that was going to fix it. It wasn't another baby. It wasn't another house. It wasn't any of those things. So, you know, it's not about 
anything other than fixing yourself. It's like that whole Kramer versus Kramer thing. She wasn't okay. And she needed to find the help. If you've never seen the movie, I suggest y'all watch it. Um, for younger people, they may never have seen the movie, but it's a, it's, it's true. It's not about him. It was about me. And yes. that I had to admit was very difficult to look in the mirror, mirror and say, Ugh, you need to deal with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It's facing that truth is the hardest thing. And if same, you know, I was miserable and it was all because of beliefs I had about myself. It was the things that I had internalized from past abusive relationship of a failing career. And so when I was able to go within myself and, and heal the wounds and figure out what was the root of the unhappiness that changed everything. And mm -hmm. so, um, had I not done that, I safe to say that my husband and I would still not be, we wouldn't be married anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't know that I would be here honestly on this planet in this form any longer because it was not good. I was miserable. And I can always, I can remember him saying to me, especially when I was still working full time, it was like, as soon as Sunday hit, like I was Dr. And Jekyll, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, it was like happy Sunday morning, but by four 30 Sunday evening, I was like this raging lunatic that was miserable. So that was the first indication that career wasn't going well. Um, and then even after I left the career and was in the healing journey, I was still pretty miserable. And I know there were so many times that he was fed up with me, but thankfully he's patient. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, again, yes, he was patient and I had a very patient husband and ultimately it was really what I was going through internally that just needed to change. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. So this has been wonderful. Thank you so much, Mallory, for coming on and chatting with us today. It's been a pleasure. Um, I am so excited to continue to tune into more of your podcast episodes and watch it evolve as you keep sharing and making an impact. And so if anybody um, takes a listen to one of your podcast episodes um, and they hit you up on Instagram in the DM, is that okay? Oh, of course. Yes. It's don't lose your balance with Mallory Durek on Apple, Google, any of your favorite podcasts. And yes. I am Mallory underscore Durek or don't lose your balance. M is in Mary S is in Sam D is in David, which is don't lose your balance. MSC, my initials on Instagram, which is the, probably the better, the better of the two to communicate. And I have a website, don't lose your balance.com. Yes. And we will be sure to put all of those in the show notes so that all they have to do is just click and they'll go right <laughs> to you. Great. So thank thank you, Kim. you so much, Mallory. It's been a pleasure. And if you took the time to listen to this podcast episode and you feel like this would be helpful for a friend, please feel free to share because the more the merrier. And it would be so helpful if you could take time to leave a review. I read all of the reviews personally to ensure that this podcast is continuing to be the go-to resource that you're looking for and to provide all the support that's needed. So thanks so much for tuning in and I will see you next week.